0: Goodness me, will this endlessly generous summer never stop giving. We've had the most extraordinary World Cup imaginable uh, and a truly remarkable test victory over Ireland. And there is still a full... Ashes series to come. So welcome to Broad and Fry. Two very happy people. One extremely nervous, and he of course is the one who's not playing. Has there ever been a better time to get an insight into the world of Stuart Broad than now? Fresh from taking seven wickets, Against Ireland, um, three for 60 uh, and uh, no, hang on. Yeah, at least, wasn't it? And four for 19, seven wickets. That's right. Goodness me. Stuart, what was said in the dressing room after England were pulled out for 85 on the first day?
1: Well, before we get to the cricket, firstly, welcome back from L.A. Thank you. Nice no. I see. Uh, what were you doing? What were you doing out there? Um, well, what did you I had do with your time. I,
0: I had meetings to take. I had to, uh, as they say in America, reach out to people, and people reached out to me. I, I have a TV series and a film that are both kind of about to go in different ways and different times, and so I had to do meetings. Plus, uh, there's also someone who's wanting to buy the rights for a book of mine for for TV version and I had to have a meeting with that and otherwise I just had writing to do and people to see so it was very pleasant Um, there were earthquakes and uh, aside from the biggest earthquake for 40 years or whatever it was in the southern Californian region there was the earthquake obviously of the World Cup final which was me pacing up and down stamping my foot walking over three and a half miles listening and 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 pacing around the furniture while that went on.
1: But I'm glad to be back. You're very proud of, you're proud of that stat, aren't you, three and a half miles? <laughs> I like it. I think it shows true fandom. <laughs>
0: it's only because of modern technology and Fitbits and Apple Watches and so on that you can, you can test this out. I would never have believed it otherwise. It's just pretty exciting.
1: We'll have to get you one of our team GPSs we wear for, the, for a day in the field yes you cuz you know at
0: the end of the day exactly how far you've paced around don't you and and of course we've got left hand right hand combinations and you're going from long leg to uh, um
1: you know to third man and so on uh, or even- I mean they're pretty clever they they can tell you how much sort of level of effort and pace you're putting in in run-ups and everything so there's there's really no hiding place these days. Um, you know, know. The, the strength and conditioning coach can go, oh, you, you, this spell you weren't quite putting in the effort as you were first spell. It's like, oh, I felt like I was. But, um, yeah, you can travel up, you know, 17, 18k a day, which uh, which in cricket seems quite a lot, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, It certainly does. And you of all people will know that when people talk about your bowling, they they always describe you as a streak bowler, that you have had these famous and perfectly... Extraordinary spells. Uh, there was the twenty thirteen Ashes Test in Britain. Do you remember at Chesterle Street? You had two yeah. incredible. I think five for seventy one and six for fifty, off the top of my head. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> weird stalkiness here, uh, and uh, we won't even mention, of course, uh, that eight for fifteen at Trent Bridge. <laughs> so you know you're yeah. famous for that, and, and indeed at uh, at the Oval, uh, were you one man of the match? Your very first Ashes. Uh, series wasn't it in 2009 where you got f- yeah 30 yeah. uh, something
1: um five for 37 off the top of my head yeah that's um, it and man of the match 12.3 <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it's uh something about the ashes isn't there sort but of, people um, always
0: describe you uh, as 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 a street player and then when they go further they say oh i can see now stewart's in rhythm he's got his rhythm and you know the phrase that's coming up, his his knees are rising, his legs are pumping. I, you must know people say that about you, but is that how you think about yourself as well? Do you feel yourself somehow transforming when, when these moods come upon you?
1: Yeah, the, I think getting a wicket early in a spell for me is really important. I think there's some stat that if I get a wicket in my first three overs in that spell, I've, I've got a massive percentage chance of getting more wickets in that spell. So I don't know if that just gives me the encouragement or something extra to to push through my action and get an extra bit of bounce, I'm not sure. But that's where this GPS stuff's quite interesting because if, if GPS had been around, if I'd have worn it since I started, I could have looked at all these spells I had and try and get all the figures of pace of run-up, tempo, energy levels, everything, and try and match yeah. them each spell. And then if I have a bad day, I could... Uh, go, or maybe I was a bit down on pace in my run-up, etc. So um, there was an interesting number that came from our stats guy uh, at Lords last year. I got one for 80 in an innings. And the amount of balls I bowled in a good area, so to speak, hitting the stumps and seeming, was exactly the same percentage as when I got eight for 15. Good Lord. So that's why. So, how, cricket what do you do from that? The, you
0: can't, there's nothing you can learn from that.
1: It's just the maddest sport in the world, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you, I bowled the exact same spell and got one yeah. for 80 compared to 815. So, that's. I think it's good to know because as a player, it can help you relax. You can go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong here. I just need to. We call it sort of mother cricket. You just got to trust that the yeah. game will turn, the luck will come, the, the edges will go to hand. and And. And your time, your time will come. But that's something that comes with experience. You know, you don't think like that at twenty-two.
0: And I, no, I bet you don't. And one of the advantages of the technology is that it's also available to the commentators. So that means the greybeards, all the old commentators, they can't say he's bowling shorter now than he did in that great spell because they have the same, the same technology and they can see. Every single ball where it lands on, on the, you know, the Yorker length, the uh, full length, the, you know, the slot, the good length, um, the back of a length, the, the, the short ball, etc. You can see the cluster. So um, it is, as you say, that, that miracle that one day the same bowling will get you a huge bag and another day it won't. Does that, does that, does, does that mean that when you're not getting the wickets, you're tempted to change
1: uh, oh, of course. I think any time that something's not going your way, you're always tempted to change. But that's where these sort of numbers become crucial because if you're actually doing the right things and just not getting the wickets, you don't need to change because the the wickets will come if you keep doing the right things. You know, the, yes. the history of Test cricket, if you hit the top of off stump more often than not, you're going to pick up wickets. Yes. And that's the history of the game. So the key, we'll tell you that.
0: the key is to be patient.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you saw... Uh, I mean that island test that's just gone at Lords. We, I mean, Timmy Murter on day one showed that he just hit the top of off more often than not. boulders out for eighty-five, uh, and Chris Wokes and I did very similar in the in the fourth innings. But there's many days that you do that, and you get one wicket, two wickets, yeah. and it doesn't work for you. But um, yeah, I think yeah the, the the history of test cricket shows if you can just we like. Hammer the top of off stump consistently and put the batsman's defence under pressure. You will come out on top.
0: And there will be days, and it may be that Thursday at Edgbaston will be such a day when, of course, the toss is worth winning because it's likely that there will be more movement. There'll be a. Will there be a green top to this particular deck? Do you think, or, or uh, do you know what the, the the groundsman has been asked to provide?
1: Well, I'm I'm overlooking Edgebaston now, speaking to you, and there's, I'm just trying to count, 15 covers on the pitch. <laughs> it's been raining that much. So uh, I don't think there was loads of grass yesterday, mm. but I think they were probably expecting moisture to come um, today and bring a bit more live grass through, through the pitch. So I'd be surprised if there wasn't a tinge. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, w- as a team, we always say, Regardless of the toss, whatever you do, you've got to do it well because we won the toss at Lords last Wednesday, batted. Yes. And we were, bowl- we were bowling straight after lunch. So um, <laughs> we, we, we didn't bat very well. We didn't do that bit right. So I think Thursday, it won't even be talked about the toss. You know, as a playing group, it won't be what we're going to do, bat, bowl. It'll just be Interesting. both opening batsmen, opening bowlers, focus on your role, get yourself in a position to set this team up for the game.
0: Mm. now I want to remind our listeners just in case they're either new to the game or they're too young to remember or they've just been busy thinking of other things what the state of play with the ashes is Uh, as you know the ashes is the word that is used it's a metonym a synecdoche you can use all kinds of fancy and strange literary terms to describe it but it, it means the biennial sometimes little less common, sometimes a little, I mean, a little less regular, sometimes even even more close together competition between the Australian and the English five-day test teams. It has a long, long history, well over 100 years, um, back in 1884, was it? I think something like that. And um, we'll look at it from 2005, which was the year that England exploded with joy when the Australians came um under Ricky Ponting, captained by Michael Vaughan. And we lost at Lords heavily. We won by two runs at Edgbaston. We drew at Old Trafford. Uh, We won at Trent Bridge. And then we drew at the Oval to win the Ashes in England. Since then, it's been an interesting ding-dong. The following Ashes were in Australia, and it was a whitewash. Flintoff captained. And it was, you know, pretty... Oh, God, it was back to the bad old days. Then in 2009, back in England, Ponting came back. Andrew Strauss was was captaining, and that was a fantastic series. It was the debut series for Stuart Broad, of course. Um, He won Man of the Match in the final oval test, which was... uh, 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 an England win by nearly 200 runs uh, we won that series uh, uh, we've, we won at Lords for the first time since 1934 would you believe so Flintoff Pfeiffer from it memory it was, that's the Pfeiffer. time he threw up his arms like a, like a the lion he was, it was also his, his, he had announced that the morning of that test that he was going to retire from test cricket so it was a very emotional and extraordinary occasion, we drew at Edgbaston and then Australia won by an innings and something fairly large at Headingley, so it was a a, 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 it was a tight one and then then came the miracle in 2010-11 under Andrew Strauss England won in Australia which is a rare thing 3-1 I think it was uh, Cook was the hero of that series. He took nearly 800 runs. He, he made nearly 800 runs in that in that series. Then in 2013, um, Michael Clark came over as captain, and Cook was ca- uh, our captain again, and we won that. That was the, that was the great Durham uh, achievement of our hero Stuart, who, who took a, a, a five for and a six for in the two innings there. A young Joe Root got, uh, got got a century, as did Ian Bell at Lords there. That was a great win by three hundred forty-seven runs. Uh, then at uh, Chester Le Street, Stuart Broad. Absolutely owned that match with a, with a 5 for 71 and a 6 for 50. And the over was a rather disappointing draw. Then in 2013 14, back in Australia, another whitewash, another 5 0 drubbing under the captaincy of Clark. Um, then in 2015, Australia came to England, this time as heavy favourites, and Alistair Cook had a lot to prove. Clark was captain again. Uh, We won in Sophia Gardens Cardiff um, by 169 runs. Um, but then at Lords, Australia won by four hundred and five runs, and then at Edgbaston, England won by eight wickets. And this is a the theme I'm going to return to: these extraordinary wins, either way, who, whichever side won, won by masses. Uh, you know, back to the old days of the Edgbaston winning by two runs was uh, seemed a, a, a lifetime ago, because then at Trent Bridge, England won by an innings and seventy eight runs, thanks to a, an eight for fifteen from Stuart Broad and a six for thirty six from Ben Stokes. Uh, and then Australia won at the Oval, in fact, just as a compensation. Um, and then Australia won again at home, 4-0, uh, uh, under the captaincy of Joe Root. And now they have come to England um, uh, with the highest scorers of, um, of that uh, series in Australia, which are Warner and Smith, in uh, Inter, of course, and Bancroft. And probably their best bowling attack. And many people are saying this, this will be tight. Uh, we, Sounds like you're crying out for a tight series. I'm, I'm, gosh, I'd rather we just <laughs> walk it. Or I'd rather we weed all over them, Stuart, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but I have a feeling, as you say, Mother Cricket has many surprises in store for us. First of all, I'd love you, Stuart, to talk about the morale in the England camp. Uh, uh, do, is it something you actually talk about how confident you are or do you just assume it?
1: Um, I mean, obviously, we've we've got together as an Ashes squad in the last couple of days. The Island game, um, a few players had a bit of a rest. Mm-hmm. Ben Stokes, uh, Josh Butler, Joffre had gone back to to Barbados yeah. for a bit of a uh, bit of a break. So, uh, yeah, arrived yesterday at at Edgebaston, got together today. Unfortunately, not outside because it's rained so much, yeah. but. Um the excitement's building. It, every like we've started talking about the Australians plans um not actually seeing the Australians around the ground yet which always brings the ashes close to home. Yeah, so when you, you start see them past, as- <laughs> You know, walking past the players in the in the changing room uh, corridors and stuff. That's when it sort of uh, brings it home. Maybe that hoping ashes, that Stark, is uh, Stark
0: treads on a cricket ball a la Glenn McGrath in 2005.
1: Wow. Well, I actually saw Mitchell Johnson in breakfast this morning and was like, um, oh God, I hope he's not playing. Um, I hope he's not coming out of retirement. <laughs> but no, unfortunately, he's uh, he's just here for some commentary work. But yeah, it's, it's felt quite, what's the right word? Insular. Mm-hmm. It's felt quite, we're just focusing on yeah. our team, what we're doing, our culture, making sure that our players are fit fresh and ready for the fight. Uh but I think tomorrow day before the game the Wednesday leading into Thursday is is where the excitement will really build yeah. and you'll you'll start walking past um the, the Aussies seeing them a bit more seeing them around the ground uh, and, and building for Thursday because it's a really unique situation in the fact we've got Eight players in our squad, I think, who have just won the Cricket World Cup, which is probably the highest emotional roller coaster they'll ever go through in their cricketing careers. Yeah. That final, it was just remarkable. So they're going to have a bit of a down period emotionally um, to recover from that, but they've got to pick themselves up for an Ashes series. There's no doubt Australia will be so hungry. Yeah so desperate so desperate what was it 2001 was the last time australia won in, 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 in the England? uk that's right
0: yeah yeah
1: um and they i i think it's not a scary thing to say but they look very focused they've picked a, a squad used to english conditions looked to They've picked players who they think can thrive in English conditions, so they look powerful and strong. But and with
0: Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, they've got a really good uh, bowling attack for English conditions, most people would say.
1: I think I think Langer said today in the press that James Patterson's going to play as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it, they look ready for English conditions, but that doesn't mean that we get away from how brilliant we can be in, mm. in England. You know, yes. I think the, it's very important we... We remind ourselves that because I know it's a bit of our English culture sometimes. We we find it very hard to actually tell ourselves how good we are, don't we? It's not a, <laughs> it's not a thing that that goes um, comes too easily to us English, really, but it's it, that's important for us as a group to actually... You know, we've got Joe Root, we've got Johnny Bairstow, we've got Ben Stokes, we've got Joss Butler, Chris Wokes, yeah. Jimmy Anderson. We've got a huge amount of talent in our changing room, so almost just believe in in our four walls.
0: There used to be a time when we could say we've got Andrew Strauss, we've got Marcus Triscothic, we've got Alistair Cook, and, and I'm not wanting to, to beat a pessimistic drum, but most people, England fans, would say, yes, from five onwards, and, and with the obvious exception, of Joe Root is the, you know, one of the greatest batsmen alive. Um, but from five onwards, it's easy to look down the list, but it's harder to look up the list. That, that There's a lot of worry about how we open, and should Joe be coming in at three What's your, what's
1: your thought about that? Uh, well, Joe is going to come in mm. at three. Joe, Joe's going to bat three. Um, I think the first thing to say that gets overlooked, opening the batting and batting in the top three or four in English conditions over the past three or four years has been incredibly tough. Mm. The For ball visiting
0: teams as well.
1: For visiting teams as well, I, I can't remember a, an opening batsman from from any team. Correct me if I'm wrong. Coming and and really dominating our bowling attack at the top of the order. That's a good point. So um, I think it's been very tough. I Think Andrew Strauss read the future and retired at the right time when the pitches started <laughs> to uh, to nip around. Um, I, I think you know Sir Asha Cook said himself the last couple of years has been was the hardest test of his career. Yes. Hardest. Um, conditions for him to bat in so yes with the
0: exception of his great farewell um, performance his best performances have always been in India and 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 in Australia actually haven't they
1: yeah but what but what we've got in this side looks like we're going to line up Rory Burns Jason Roy, Rooty, Denley Mm. well well, Rory and Denley have been good run scorers in county cricket consistently uh, Jason is a proven international run scorer. Yep. Yes, there's a difference between red ball and white ball cricket, blah, blah, blah. But actually you can show, David Warner has shown you can transfer those skills yes. really well. Yeah. So he's someone who brings a great energy to the group. He's fantastic in the field and he's a powerful batsman. So he's exciting to have at the top. So I, I can see why the media and there's there's doubts over the top order because yes, we have been 30 for three uh, probably two uh, more often than we would like. But it's been hard. Yeah. And actually, I think we've got a, a good group of players to combat that.
0: And be, and before we go to our break, um, what would you say about the, the, the spirit, the morale um, and, and the spirit between the two sides? The, uh, in the past, you won't mind me saying, you've... You've never been afraid to be quite in your face as a as a as a as a bowler, as an aggressive fast bowler, which is part of the armory of a bowler. Is not just uh, the technique of how the ball is delivered, but the, the 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 sheer aggression of the of the mindset and the attitude, and and, and also you know there were the, that time at Trent Bridge was it when you didn't walk in the two thousand and nine Test match there when uh, that was the Agar incident um, and. Other occasions when you've you know not liked what you might have heard as a mutter from this player or that player, and you know you 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 are a, a proper Australian style in that sense player, um, but I know you you always get on with these people afterwards off the field.
1: So my view in professional sport is a you've got to meet fire with fire, mm. and. We didn't win the Ashes from 1987 to 2005. A, they had a world-class team, but I don't believe the players in that period met fire with fire. No. I think Warne, McGrath, Steve Waugh had a hold in the media on the field with an aggression that scared English English players. So the English players in that period, in my opinion, played the person, not the ball and the bat. I think 2005 was a great leader for English cricket in a style to play. So Kevin Peterson came in, Andrew Flintoff, uh Steve Harmison played with an aggression pa- an aggressive passion that showed the Australians can be stood up to. If you yeah. remember before that series Paul Collingwood had thrown the ball at Matt Hayden or Simon Jones had thrown oh, the ball at Matt Hayden. Yes. And it all gathered, and suddenly Paul Collingwood, who's five foot seven, was staring up at a six foot four Matt Hayden, telling him where to go. Not that Matt Hayden would have understood <laughs> Paul Collingwood and his Durham accent, but um, <laughs> that was like a, a symbol of England cricket standing up to Australia. And and since then, having learnt off the KPs, the, the Flintoffs, mm. we've done that as a team. Mm. So I think that's vital that that continues through. This series, although Australia are coming with a slightly different approach since yes. the sandpaper gate, there's been a lot of talk about them being a bit nicey, nicey and stuff. Does that yeah. come naturally to Australians? No, <laughs> no <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it does. Um, and will a- it affect the way we go about our business? No, because I, we're not big sledgers. We don't, we don't show like massive verbal aggression, but at the top flight, you've got to have a, a deep, burning competitiveness and we've got to make sure this england team shows out on thursday
0: amen and hallelujah and let's on that note uh, go to a break and uh, we'll uh, come back with some of the many listeners questions that have been flooding into hashtag broad and fry Well, welcome back to Broad and Fry, the uh, the Dawn of the Ashes episode. So uh, you can imagine, lots of people have been uh, putting in questions on uh, Instagram and Twitter and other social media outlets. I dare say, using the hashtag Broad and Fry. Have you got one uh, to begin with, Stuart?
1: I have actually. Yeah, Ben Johnson sent one in, which is quite relevant because it's uh, it's about sleeping before big game for me, I suppose, a big performance for you. So the actual question is, do you find it hard sleeping the evening before a, a big game? He says he stays awake, uh, worrying about all sorts and, and overthinking things. Do I find it hard mm. to switch off and, and relax? Um, I used to, yeah. I, I, I actually had to create a technique when I was 21, 22 to deal with it because test cricket's obviously a five-day game. So if you don't, and as a bowler with the sort of physical efforts you're putting in, if you don't get good sleep, you can, you can really like obviously feel tired, but your body can feel sore. You can, you it really struggles to get over rehab wise. So, um, I used to lie awake wondering, oh, where will my first ball go? Uh, what happens if I get hit for four first ball, what will (laughs) I do then? And suddenly you're bowling a whole spell before you go to bed. So, uh, I, I ended up coming with this technique where I actually picture a theater stage yeah. and uh, it's a big stage. All the lights are on the stage and I go systematically and I put everything that's on my mind onto this stage. So me bowling my first ball, um, my dinner wasn't very nice, that goes on, or uh, I feel a bit hot, that <laughs> goes on, I'm a bit restless, or I should have called mum, that goes on. Everything that I, I, I'm thinking about goes on to this stage, and then I slowly close the curtains of the theatre stage, and as the curtain's closing, the light's obviously going until it's pitch black, and I yeah. fall asleep.
0: That's incredible. That's something like neural linguistic programming or whatever, isn't it? It sounds yeah. like It's quite Darren Brown. It's quite mind palacey. It's it's brilliant. Did someone teach you that, or did you devise it yourself?
1: Uh, I, I mean, I worked with a psychologist uh, very lightly on it because once I tried it, it worked for me. Um, oh. But it was it was like when I was lying in bed. Obviously, it's quiet. Um, you're trying to relax. I was just thinking about everything through that day. Yeah. And then trying to think what was going to happen the, the next day. So I put a few things in place. One, actually at the ground the day before the game, I bowl four overs each end in my mind. So I stand at the end of my mark. I imagine the crowd is roaring, booing, cheering, <laughs> whatever. I imagine David <laughs> Warner's at the other end. And I, I bowl four overs, um, stood at the end of my mark. I don't move. I just, in my mind, bowl these balls through to the wicketkeeper. And then, wow. for, for me, that's me imagining I'm there. So when I come to bowl the next day, I feel like I've already bowled there.
0: That is so smart.
1: And it also takes away the worry. So then I lie in bed like that night and I'm not worrying yeah. where will my first ball go because I feel like I've just bowled four overs that day, um, put it to bed and sleep. And actually, I've, I've, I'm a great sleeper. That's brilliant.
0: Because the eve of the first day is in a sense less likely to cause that kind of you know cyclical looping of thoughts and dreads and fears than it is when you're through the match and you let's say that the stumps have been drawn and smith is in and he's near a century and he needs to be dismissed that's the overnight that's difficult when you know whom you're bowling to the next day uh, uh, on Wednesday night before the first test, you won't know who's won the toss. You won't know if you'll, be, if you'll be bowling or you'll be batting. But it's when there's a very specific person to bowl to. And this is the way you dispel it by imagining you've already done it.
1: Yep. And then if we don't have a great day, because Jimmy and I, Jimmy Anderson and I share lifts into the ground. If the day doesn't go our way the day before, we have to change who drives and change our route to the ground. <laughs> Isn't that just pathetic?
0: No, Isn't that no, just no. Dreadful? It's, the word is human. It is genuinely human. It's good so actually to know. I,
1: I, I drove to the last day of the island test where we bowled island out for 38. Yeah. And um, Jimmy texted me that night just saying, you're driving to the ground day one, Edgbaston. <laughs>
0: because of your four for
1: 19. Because we got the wickets. Yes. Um, so, I mean, you must have had days where you have a huge scene the next day or a huge day coming up or someone that you're a bit nervous working with. Do you have trouble sleeping or...? I sure do. Um, And I haven't thought of anything as as brilliant
0: as your idea of that stage and closing the curtain on it. I love those kind of visual ideas. I think they usually work very well. I've tried things close to it in order to lose weight or whatever, you know, other such issues. But when it comes to nerves, I just pace up and down and i don't sleep i'm going I'm to steal straight out of your playbook it's brilliant now let's have a look at some more questions well here's one uh, from toddy it's a very simple one um but it's edgbaston and there's usually a good answer at edgbaston what impact will the crowd have on the ashes how, how does it affect you guys when when you're playing in england as opposed to australia
1: I mean, it's huge. I think it's not just the crowd in the ground, it's actually all the support you get from the whole country. You know, yeah. little things you stop at a service station on the M1 and people are like, oh, beat the Aussies, good luck. And you can be, uh, we were at the Belfry playing golf yesterday and everyone we walked past was like, come on, like obviously beat Australia, have a great day Thursday. So it gives you a, a constant positive lift. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you lose, you get the <laughs> slightly what, what happened there, lads. But um, I think <laughs> the Edgbaston crowd particularly is one of the loudest. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a ground that supports the English team with huge patriotism, if that's the right word. It's uh, it, they really yeah. get behind us. I mean, the, the, the famous uh, the famous
0: yeah, Hobby the hottest isn't it? The hottest, yeah, um,
1: yeah. and. I'd expect it to be very loud Thursday, particularly if we're bowling with potentially Warner and Bancroft coming out to bat to start the Ashes series. Uh, I would expect that to to be a lively affair. Um, mm-hmm. But it gives you a huge, it does give you a huge lift if you're bowling a spell and you get a wicket and a new batsman comes in and the the roar, the sort of anticipation roar as you start your run up, it's actually something you have to calm yourself down and control because it yeah. can make you overstride and overpump and potentially get too excited and bowl too full or get close to the line for the no ball so it's it's an emotion that you need to control but you're way you're in a way better position as a as a sports person if you're having to bring down your emotions than having to rev them up
0: and if you're at deep mid after and over wherever you might go or deep backward point or something and you're approaching the crowd they obviously they start shouting at you and talking to you do you you engage with them do you say thanks or wave or do you you close it up when it's that yeah
1: I like to engage actually we have two different um, ways we do it so when we go to Australia obviously it's a very pro-Australian crowd (laughs) a bowler in their the middle of their spell won't go down to fine leg because we don't want that bowler to be uh, mentally affected Exposed. by the crowd. Go, oh, what was that ball? That was rubbish, or probably <laughs> a little bit ruder than that. But um, the the barricades, so, as they call it. That. So, yeah. so we keep our bowlers in the middle of the spells in the infield, so you don't have that ah. personal attack. But actually, in the in England, you, you you field wherever you just go to to wherever you. You can, um, because it's all very positive feedback. And actually, if you're in a spell where you're taking wickets, it's good to go down to the boundaries edge because you get a great lift from from yeah. your home home crowd. So yeah, I mean there's a few grounds that stand out in the UK and Edgebaston is one of them. Do your I own think own it's home quin- yeah, is it coincidence we're playing the first game here? Yeah. Probably not, because well. it's uh Fortress Edgebaston, as Edgebaston call itself. Yeah,
0: and it was good for us in the World Cup as well.
1: Actually, you mentioned that. It's just been turned off here. But the Australians trained yesterday and Edgebaston had put the score of the England-Australia semi-final <laughs> on the scoreboard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very naughty. Of course, the other thing worth saying is that when you're abroad as an England player, you have the unique advantage of the barmy army and bill cooper is it the uh, the trumpeter uh the, the trumpeter, the sound that sound yeah bill, yeah bill cooper who's a very good trumpeter and a and an extraordinarily loyal barmy army uh member and and that i don't think any of the other sides have that kind of uh, uh, that kind of support around the world do they
1: no we're hugely blessed we we're supported anywhere we go in any city uh, any country where we have great support, and actually, the, the as players we get to know the people who are touring with us a lot. We see them in different restaurants and stuff, and there's a great connection between the players and the fans. It's uh, yeah, it's very special, and um, we like to see familiar faces. Whether we turn up at Edgbaston on Thursday or whether we're in Colombo or Dhaka, seeing those familiar faces just makes. I don't know, Part of that makes you feel at home. It makes you feel like you're playing for your league side on a Saturday, supported by your friends, Yeah, which is important because you, that, that's where you relax and perform at your best.
0: Someone should make a good film about those people because the stories behind their lives and how they gear their lives to every England tour around the world must be worth telling, just following them and uh, seeing how they how they get through it all and how they afford it, how they save up and, you know, all the rest of it. So rather wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, what, what questions have you seen?
1: Uh, Matt Brock has asked, he's actually asked, who would be the top three cricketers you'd invite to a dinner party? <laughs> but I'm actually going to change that to people. Um, I think I'd like to hear your, your answer to this. I actually think you would be... Uh, in the top three for many people in this country. <laughs> oh, that's very
0: sweet. I, I, I usually reply to that, but you haven't seen me eat. It's a disgusting <laughs> spectacle. <laughs> well, you know, there are certain people who are always at the top of the list, like Winston Churchill and Oscar Wilde, and for, for various obvious reasons. And uh, if you're a cricket fan, you might think of the greatest cricketers. And Most people who follow cricket and who've read biographies will know that while Don and Bradman was you know just primus inter pares the you know the most extraordinary batsman of his age and any age and no one will approach his average he probably wasn't the nicest guy to sit next to at a dinner party because like all extreme sportsmen of that kind he was single minded to a point of of kind of pathology perhaps and and one would like most to spend time with people who are all-rounders in life as well as in cricket, um, you know, who who have uh, interests outside the game. So, I mean, the, the people I'm always fascinated to meet are... Um, are those who uh, who are themselves curious. So, I, I mean, I'd be very lucky. I've met Nelson Mandela and people like that who, you know, one could say that's enough in, in your life to meet. Um, I'll tell you a Nelson Mandela story that you, which might please you, which was, uh, uh, I don't know if you ever met him when you were in South Africa. If he, uh,
1: no, I didn't know.
0: Um, but uh, he had a secretary, a, a gatekeeper called Zelda, who was a wonderful woman, and she told this story about how when he came to England after the um, uh, 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 release from Robin Island and uh, his election as president, and it was a famous visit. He went to Brixton, and there were hundreds of thousands on the streets to see him, and he went to the Buckingham Palace, and he had, like, 20 minutes alone with the Queen uh, scheduled, but it turned into an hour and a half. And he left, and they would swapped numbers. So when he came to, uh, back to South Africa as president, every now and again, Zelda said that uh, Buckingham Palace would call, or he would say, Zelda, give me Buckingham Palace. I'm going to speak to Her Majesty. And they, they were friends. They, 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 they chatted. And the story Zelda told was that one day, after he'd been in conversation with the palace, he came out of his office and said, Zelda, I have to say to you, I had the most extraordinary conversation with Her Majesty. And Zelda said, what do you mean, Madiba? And he said, well, she, she asked me the most remarkable question. She said, well, what? She said to me, Nelson, would you do me the favor, please, of calling me Elizabeth? And he said, you know, I am the only man, apart from her father, her sister, and her husband, who has ever called her Elizabeth. Isn't that really incredible? Wonderful. I think that's touching. So obviously I'd, I'd like him back because he was pretty amazing. Uh, uh, and people with that kind of grace and resilience are, are, are rare. I, 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 will, I will choose a cricketer. And, and it's a pretty obvious one, I suppose, for some, someone like me. And that's Mike Brearley because he's so interesting about psychology and captaincy. And he's always got fascinating things to say. Um, and as someone totally uh, out on a limb, I choose Duke Ellington, whom I've only recently discovered. He's obviously one of the most famous jazz musicians there ever was. And I've always been a bit kind of ignorant about him. And I've just started listening to him. And I think I would rather spend time with him than almost anybody.
1: And what about you, Stuart? Fantastic. Uh, my number one guest would be Brian Clough. Who is a Nottingham Forest legend oh, and uh, obviously manager when we won the two European Cups and <laughs> yeah. I there's a lot of in Nottingham where I live there's a lot of fascinating stories etc about folklore. him and I, folklore and I I I would love to listen to his man management because you know, Roy Keane who's a bit of a hero player of mine said mm. he was the best manager he ever worked for I'd just be interested to see how he went about motivating. His players. It um, wasn't
0: cuddliness, was it?
1: No, I don't think it was. But but he made them feel hugely valued. Yeah. Um, so that that's quite an interesting way of doing that. And obviously, as a as a Nottingham Forest fan, what he did for Nottingham Forest, the club, was just outrageous. Really, if you think about winning two back to oh, back European yeah. championships. Um, I would then go Ricky Gervais purely because. <laughs> I I really enjoy his comedy, and yep. uh, going back to The Office, which was sort of the original his original sitcom, two thousand and one, um, to which I watch, I reckon I watch three or four episodes a week still now. Um, <laughs> if there's if there's anything, if I ever feel in a slightly bad mood, I just put twenty minutes of that on, and and uh, it makes me makes me smile. And everyone's he's done it beautifully because I think everybody in the world has got a little bit of David Brent in them somewhere. Ooh. Um and Absolutely. you've already mentioned my third would be Winston Churchill um mm. because I've got an interest in in history and obviously the history of this country and and the war and I've got a lot of questions I'd like to ask about that period of time that he had to deal with some of the decision make, making some of the uh you know the the stories that he went through and also to share a cigar and a little tumbler with him would be quite yeah. fascinating. I think he'd probably drink have. and smoke at a different pace to me, but um, <laughs> it just uh, he, yeah, limit, limit myself to one.
0: He always said, I got more out of alcohol than alcohol ever got out of me, <laughs> which is a good way of looking at it. And, and what a life. I mean, you know, whatever one may think. I mean, as a young man, he, he was in the last cavalry charge that the British army ever yeah. made, the Battle of Omdurman. You know, I mean, literally on a horse with his sword out, <laughs> charging against the enemy, like, like in the days of Waterloo. And he, he lived from that to, to doodlebugs and, and, and V2s, you know. I mean, it, it, absolutely in, incredible lifespan. Um, well, were very good choices. Um, um, we better get back to cricket now. Um, uh, let's have a look now.
1: <sighs>
0: Maybe, have, well, you it,
1: a, have you ever yeah. been a 12th man? Do you know what? I was just about to mention that question Yeah, this is a question. Myself. It's from
0: Tangerine Dave. Uh, besides bringing out kit and drinks, how does the 12th man pass the time while he's side cider fielding? Has a 12th man ever wandered off when he was needed? What do you know about what? What 12th man nuggets can you give us?
1: Well, I, I mean, I was 12th man a bit this winter, Sri Lanka in the Caribbean. And um, it's a really interesting job in the fact that you can go from completely relaxing and m- like mixing a bit of dire drink to give to the players and nattering away to being out there fielding at cover points in front of 20,000 people within the space of 30 seconds. So you go from your mind being in the, in the clouds to having to switch on yeah. very quickly and being expected to catch a ball if it gets whacked at you. Uh, How We Killed Our Time, our masseuse, Mark Saxby, I've mentioned on this podcast before. Yes, indeed. We call him the quiz master. So every day he brings in X amount of quizzes that uh, we give our time slots to. uh, And he asks the questions and he has a leaderboard of the 12 men of who get the the answers (laughs) right. So um, actually time goes really quickly and you're learning. Yeah, but it, it's one of those, you know, when you know Ben Stokes might be on the field waving because he's cramping because he's in 40 degrees and he needs a drink and yeah. he's getting frustrated that we're not looking, it's because we're all concentrating <laughs> on who who was the leading scorer for Norwich City in 1973. You know, it's um, it's uh, it's good, it's a good way to pass the time because obviously we're not allowed mobile phones or electronic no. devices, they all That's go right. into you, an, you uh,
0: the in. anti corruption yeah.
1: box. So, yeah, it's um. Yeah, we do, we do quizzes, which actually can help me. And, you know, I've got a couple of pubs, the little pub quizzes on a Monday night just helps me sort of um, branch out.
0: And there is a, there's a rule about fielding that if you don't want the ball to come to you, A, it will come to you, and B, you'll muff it. You have to want it to come to you. And is it the same as a 12th man? Do you want to be pulled out there and have a Gary Pratt moment, who was, if uh, listeners remember, the, uh, the, the substitute fielder who ran out uh, Ricky, Ponting Ricky Ponting, to Ricky Ponting, yeah. Ponting's fury? In, um,
1: no, you, you You've are got to want to be out there. You, no you don 't you don 't want no. to be there at all you 're praying to every god out there that the ball <laughs> doesn 't come anywhere near you because you 're completely out of speed with the game
0: yeah.
1: you you 're on for one over you don 't know how hard you know you 've not got any rhythm of how the bowl is bowling how quick the ball 's moving mm. um, and you are expected to catch every catch that comes your way as um, actually I felt so. Who was it who fielded for... It was James Vince who went on in that Super over in the World Cup final, fielding for, for Mark Wood. That's right. I mean, has yeah. there ever been a higher-pressurised 12th-man fielding? I mean, the quiz yeah. would have been way out of his mind at that <laughs> period of time. Yeah, it's, it, you, because uh, naturally, you don't want to let your teammates down. You can't have any influence positively with battle ball in that game.
0: And is there, what, what are the rules at the moment about bowlers going
1: off uh, it, 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 there was a bit of a fuss, I think
0: it was the 2000... Oh, well, I can't remember which, which you know, when uh, I think it was Ponting complained that...
1: Yeah, that's. there were rumours that Hoggard and Harmeson were going it. off and getting stretched and massaged and stuff to freshen them up for another spell. Um, there are rules, you're not allowed to go off for that. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to go off for the toilet. Oh, really? Um, no, you, you, you're only supposed to go off for injuries, etc. So you just, if you, need a loo, if you need the loo, you just say you're going off with a sore hamstring. <laughs> and then, and then you, run, you run back on five minutes later, perfectly fine. So um, so yeah.
0: can, I, can, can I leave you then with one question? Because we've got, we've got to go now. We've come to the end of our time, which I, it has come in from several sources. Um, is it your guess that the Ashes will be dominated by bowling or batting?
1: Being a fast bowler, my hope it was be dominated by bowling. Um, But I think the key to Test cricket and why Test cricket's been a success in England over the last few years is there has been an exciting balance between bat and ball. I don't think anyone wants to see 500 plays 500 and I don't think anyone finds real interest out of 50 plays 50. So I've always thought from a young age, the best Test cricket is 320 plays 300 plays 300 and, and then there's a tight finish. So, yeah, I think I, personally, I'd like the wickets to have decent bounce, decent pace, begin to turn day three onwards, not seem all over the place. Um, and good, you always get good value for runs in England at the likes of Lords and Headingley, where the outfields are just so true, the ball just disappears. So I think test cricket on a whole has been dominated with, by ball. Yeah. in the last 2 years even we went to sri lanka and the spinners took 95% of the wickets you know it was it was yeah. turning square um, but and, i think and just, there'll be there will be runs out there you know virat kohli showed last yeah. year runs he got and runs just
0: quickly for the sake of people who may be coming to test cricket because they were enthused by the world cup how is it that the lowest kind of world cup score was in the mid 200s and or maybe 180 190 but that in in a test match with Ireland we can score so few as 85 what what is it that, that that means we can't in test matches sometimes even make a decent score is it simply the the nature of the duke ball or is it the whole mixture of the of the laws and regulations
1: yeah i think it's it's a lot to do with the ball so the red ball does move more than the white ball mm. so it means your technique has to be um next to perfect and your method has to be next to perfect to not just survive in test cricket, but to build scores and build averages like the likes of Alistair Cook and um, great players like that have done. So that's why we always say in the change room, that's why they call it test cricket. That's a saying that we say, you know, if you've had a bad day, you know, it's not called easy cricket. You've heard them all before, but it, it really is the biggest test of your character Um, your testament, your ability, your technique, your mental strength. So, um, yeah, that probably doesn't answer the question as why you can get bowled out cheaply, but the ball does move around more. So in white ball cricket, like the World Cup, it's a huge advantage to have your technique to be uh, favoured towards attacking, whereas there's still a lot of advantage in Test cricket, for having a really strong defensive setup that allows you to score attackingly when your moment comes.
0: And next time, uh, because we have to close now, we will talk about this whole new Test Championship idea. Because this Test series is a is a first in world Test cricket, in as much as points will be awarded, uh, which will go on for the two year cycle of a Test cricket Kind of league, if you like. Um, Yeah, we have
1: name and numbers on our shirts now. Ah, there you go. What would be your shirt number? What would be your shirt number out of choice?
0: (laughs) Um, Probably 104, because that was my school number and it's the.
1: the Fry 104. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And you? What's yours going to be? I'm Broad 8. Eight? And will Joe
0: be able to be 66 again? He won't. Root is 66. Oh, yes. Good.
1: Anderson, number nine, because he wants to be a football striker. (laughs)
0: <laughs> there you have it. Well, listen, um, the, the wishes of a, a grateful and excited nation go with you, Stuart, as you uh, prepare with one more day uh, as we speak uh, before Edgerton begins.
1: And, and we wish you every luck and every success. And uh, I can't wait for our next podcast. Thank you. Yeah, win, lose or draw. I hope everyone enjoys the series. Yeah, yeah. All the best. Goodbye, everybody. See, See you next time.